Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 266. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, an old friend, a dude I almost never get to talk to. And now that I think about it, and now that I reflect on it, a dude I've talked to maybe 12 times in my life. But the fact that I think of him and refer to him as an old friend ought to tell you what you need to know. This week's guest is Rob Rector. And Rob Rector is chair of the communications department at Delaware Technical Community College. He also writes for Film Threat Magazine, does programming events and really cool stuff with the Revival House out in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and works for the Marine Education Rehabilitation and Rescue Institute. Now, I don't know him from any of those things. I mean, I know that he does them. I'm aware of them. I call him my friend, right? Now, I know Rob as the founder of Natsukashi. And Natsukashi is actually the first podcast I ever appeared on. So, weird story. Back when I wrote for Crew Jones Society, I founded that with two of my friends. It was this pop culture and humor website, a lot of audience interaction. It was back in the days when there was actually websites. You know, not everything came through Facebook or Twitter or whatever this endless conveyor belt of content that gets fed right into your maw is today. People used to go to actual websites. Traffic used to come from home pages. And on the one-year anniversary of founding that, I wanted to interview Bill Allen. I mean, the site was called Crew Jones Society. Crew Jones, if you're unfamiliar, is a character from the movie Rad, 1986 BMX movie that I adore. And Bill Allen played the main character of Crew Jones. So I thought, hey, how fun, right? <clears throat> We've been around for a year. Let's get our namesake here on the show. So I started searching around the web. I was trying to find him. And I had found this weird website called Natsukashi. That's a word that doesn't have direct English translation. And I thought, what is this? And what it was, was conversations with fans and with someone associated with various movies. So, for instance, someone in Rob's universe loves the movie Rad, says, I'd like to talk about it. Let's talk about how I remember it when I was a kid. And then let's talk about after watching it now. So it's kind of a, here's what I thought then, here's what I think now. And let's talk to someone associated with this movie about the process, what they remember about it, how it holds up today, where they consider it as part of their legacy, so on and so forth. And I go, holy Lord, this is my site. I want to be a part of this. And so audacious little me, I go, okay, I have a website. I have some juice here. I'm going to email this guy. Rob is his name, maybe? I emailed him. I said, I love what you're doing here. Your interview with Bill Allen was tremendous. He also interviewed Roger Rose, who played the main character in the movie Ski Patrol, another movie I love, and coincidentally had on the same VHS tape as Rad. So two very strange, I mean, Ski Patrol was like 1990, but I still consider it an 80s movie because it's got kind of a Police Academy vibe. And oddly enough, the third movie on that tape was Police Academy 3. So just a real buffet of cinema going on there. But I emailed Rob and I go, hey, if you ever want to do this, I got lots of movies I'd love to revisit. And he said, great, let's do it. First one I pitched him, Just One of the Guys, which coincidentally, I rewatched not that long ago. Independent of this, this is maybe why I reached out to Rob in the first place. It's weird that I'm doing this out loud. No matter. I said, 
can we do an episode on just one of the guys? He said, great. He found a guest. We talked to him. And my first taste of podcasting was right there. And I go, oh, God, I really want to do this. Like, let's talk about interesting stuff. Let's talk about process. Let's dig in. And I was thrilled to do it. An interesting side effect of what happened, though. After we did the episode with this guy, Stu Charno, Stu Carno, I don't know how you say his last name. Interesting guy, weird guy. You'll find out more about that in the episode. But Rob called me, and we ended up talking for like two hours. Just, I don't do that with men I don't know, right? I mean, and and men across the country. He is in Delaware. I'm in Colorado. We've met for the first time. We've just interviewed this weird dude who was in this movie from the 80s. And here we are, just hitting it off. I did four more episodes with Rob. I talked to him on the phone a bunch of times. And I swear we must have known each other in another life. Because we hit it off instantaneously. We could go on and on. We had a similar sense of humor. We had a similar sensibility. We both loved film. We both loved film criticism. You'll hear more about that, about how much he loved the work of Roger Ebert. I did too. And man, what can I say? It is life affirming when you meet someone like that, a fellow traveler where you go, you know what? No, we know each other. And I talked to Rob on the phone for the first time in probably five years when we recorded this episode. I felt like I had talked to him the week previous. We picked it up that fast. It was fantastic. I adore Rob. I adore the work that he does. And I'm deeply appreciative for two things. One, gave me my first taste of podcasting, which is part of the way I make my living now. And secondly, for indulging me and calling me E-Dagger. That's right, E-Dagger. That was my name when I ran Crew Jones Society. And he would call me that. He would make our guests call me that. I can't believe I wasn't going by my real name at that point. What the hell was I thinking? How goofy is that? Tonight on the podcast, we have E. Dagger from Crew Jones Society. He said that with a straight face. I cannot believe it. It's amazing. What a miracle. Anyway, this podcast runs a little bit long. I'm okay with that. I was catching up with an old friend, and there's a lot in here. We have a lot of laughs. If you like film, if you like film criticism, if you like talking about process and the journey and how to be the best version of yourself, it's all in here. You're going to love it. Be sure to check out all the projects that Rob has going now. There is a link to Natsukashi. So if you search Dagger on there, seriously, D-A-G-G-E-R, you'll find my episodes there. There's one with Turner and Hooch. There's one with Cocoon. There's one with the Burbs. I mean, it's like an 80s buffet of pure goodness. But you'll also find where Rob is now. The work he's doing for the Murr Institute, for the Revival House, for Film Threat. Stay up with Rob. Rob's just a good dude, man. And what else can you hope for? We live in a pandemic. Connect with good people. Connect with people who make you happy. Connect with people doing good work. That's what this episode's all about. That'll all be in the companion blog piece, johnofalltrades.us. Also on any podcatcher you're listening to, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or any of a billion other ones. Whichever one you're on, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. You don't even have to do any work. And as a thank you, if you can leave me a rating, leave me a review. That would be phenomenal. Now then, let's get to episode 266 of the John of All Trades podcast. Rob's like a proud papa with that because I told him he gave me my first experience with podcasting. And he said, it's always so cool when someone goes on and says like, hey, this was the origin point. I helped you get there. He's like, no, but you did it. And so it, I don't know. I'm going to get all misty talking about it. So let's get to the episode instead. 266 features Rob Rector, founder of Natsukashi and man doing a ton of other cool shit. His episode starts right now.
yeah. I, I went back and I listened to the episode with Stu Charno, Stu Carno, uh, that, that you and I did. It was just one of the guys. He played. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. He played Harold Reptile Sherpico. And <laughs> this, which is the classic 80s thing, right? Like that movie's got the weird 80s nerds with all the, you know, tape on the glasses and. Uh, totally. You know, into aliens and shit like that. He was like the reptile guy, which, you know, yeah. felt like a very 80s movie trope where he's bringing these lizards and snakes and stuff to school, which, you know, okay. Now they could be service animals. <laughs> so This is my service iguana. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Perfect. <laughs> uh, but do you remember in that episode how he, like, played us a song and, like, he basically held us hostage while he did his weird, like, oh my God, goofy. Totally. You're... Well, yeah, I, I mean, that was a lot. There was a lot of people like that since we didn't hit the the A listers and and really the, most of the people who I went after, you know, they had had peaked, and you know they had a ton of free time on their hand. It was before <laughs> the proliferation of this. So, so when someone reached out about you know, it's it's like as someone calling you out of the blue and saying, "Hey, remember that throw on the football field in high school? Want to tell me all about it again?" You know, I mean. It's it's a Springsteen song all over again, and they were just you know loving to relive it, dude. Totally. And so, okay, this is Rob Rector, and Rob <laughs> is actually responsible for my very first venture into podcasting ever. And so that was in I want to say two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and I actually found Natsukashi because shortly before that I started Crew Jones Society, back when I was yep. known as E Dagger. And which, what a name, right? And, uh, hey, look, I, I love John X. John X, it's my second favorite of the X family outside of Malcolm. So you're good. Uh, we're, well, we, we spell it differently. I know. I'm, but, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But uh, anyway, it's funny because I was looking around. I always look for rad related stuff online. And you'd actually talk to Bill Allen on the show. Yeah. And I remember like being really jealous because I wanted him for the anniversary of the one year anniversary of Crew Jones Society. So I was digging around trying to find him, see what other interviews he'd done. I saw he'd done your show and I go, whoa, wait a minute. So I get in there. I'm like, wait, what is this place? Uh, <laughs> because it, it was like right in my wheelhouse. It was pure catnip. And you, you talked to Bill Allen from Rad. You had mm -hmm. talked to. Roger Rose from Ski Patrol. And, like, by the way, those two movies I had on the same VHS tape that I burned from two VCRs. <laughs> that is priceless. That's and and so I remember I reached out to you, and I'm like, hey, if uh, I don't know how you do this, but, like, I want to be on this show, which like, now that I think back on it, it's kind of audacious, like kind of a weird move. No, I was looking for people, so that was that was perfect. It was great. It was like, good, one more week, I don't have to try and scramble to fill. That's all. Awesome. It's like manna from heaven, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think we did five of them together. Yeah, I think it was somewhere like somewhere around there. There might even be one that we did, I believe, that never made it to air. Oh, that would be sad. Um, um, because they were great, remember. and like you, I got a taste for podcasting at that point, and I'm like, oh man, this is just too much fun. Like, and. Rob, I want your take on this. Like, first of all, how did Natsukashi start? And then, you know, secondly, you were way ahead of your time in terms of this. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, think about it. Like, there's like yeah. the ringer.com 
and they have a podcast called The Rewatchables. Yeah. Oh, I know. Believe me, I've listened to it. Yeah. I, I, there's there's a bunch out there that, you know, you kind of wish that, that you maybe stuck with a little bit longer or what have you. But, you know, there's you know you know how time works and and children and family and obligations so it it ran its course for me as far as what i could do with it but uh, you know it god john it was it was one of those things i've always been a film geek i mean always i can remember you know my parents giving me um when i was in uh grade school one of the christmas presents i got was like Roger Ebert's video home companion. I mean, you know, yep. I was stoked to get that. I mean, he was my God and I loved, you know, all things film. In fact, I kept my own. I wish I still had it because I just talked about this on another podcast recently, but <laughs> I had a, a spiral three ring journal that I wrote down my own reviews in. Like I continually oh, nice. reviewed, gave it star system and everything. Dude. And, and so you and I have, have always hit it off like that because yeah. Like at, at one point when I, so I was working at a PR firm during the economic downturn in like 2007, 2008, and I just found myself devouring Roger Ebert's back catalog. I would just go on RogerEbert.com and think of any movie I'd ever seen. Yeah. And I would go in and look and just like do a search to see if he'd seen it and see how our opinions lined up. And, right. and like his way with writing was just so good. He had such a feel for it, and and you got the real texture of the movie, and and it was, I mean, I loved it, and I still continue to just do that. I'll think of a movie, and I'll usually go read his review of it. I found that especially during quarantine, I have found myself reverting back to a lot of, uh, almost like a cinematic security blanket, like reverting back to a lot of these films that I had uh, watched or enjoyed. As as youth, like you know, all these '80s films that I'd rewatched just because it was a simpler time, it was a simpler place, and you know, we didn't know what the hell was going to go on. <laughs> we didn't know what was coming down the pike next. No. I mean, we already had, you know, we had zombie rats in New York, we had uh, murder hornets, we had uh, <laughs> pandemic. So you know, I'm I'm you know, happy the Earth decided to drop the murder hornet plot because that, <laughs> that just overcomplicates the narrative for me. Right, right. So. <laughs> Anyway, I, I'm, I'm a big, you know, always been a huge fan of Roger Ebert. I just, I feel like regardless of whether I stood uh, in, in alignment with him or if I opposed it, I loved reading it. And that's what I always set out to do is make sure I don't care because I've been a film uh, reviewer for probably over 20 years now. Um, I write for Film Threat magazine now Now that the, uh, I, I used to do it at the local hometown paper here for, uh, God, 15 years and got paid to do it. I got paid every single week to go to the movie theaters. That was the last of a dying breed. I mean, there was maybe like three of us on the planet that still got paid to do that. <laughs> right. Fantastic job. But, you know, now I don't want to face death with every incoming, you know, <laughs> Disney film that's going to be redone for in live action or anything. So you, you don't um, want to go be baffled by Tenet. And yeah, just... I, I've already been baffled by it. I've already, I've already watched and, uh, but I didn't, I watched a screener of that one. But okay. so I tried to model my writing in the same style that he did is that just, you know, regardless of whether or not you agree or oppose, then make it entertaining for the reader. Find mm-hmm. something in, interesting to do about it and, and know your shit too. I mean, just know your, are we allowed to cuss? I'm sorry. Uh, of course. The, okay. It's the internet, Rob. I know, I know, but I know some people with a with a you know with the ratings on uh, iTunes and all that. Yeah. Some of them have that E on there that will 
I, I, I get it, but don't worry about it here. Yeah, it's, uh, have a vocabulary so, for it. You know, like, what, what is this film trying to do and how successfully is it achieving that? You know, right, so, right. so I mean, you need to have some vocabulary for visual elements and for sound elements and for writing and things like that. And I, your ability to capture that so concisely was always mystifying to me because, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, dude, okay. So when going back, Crew Jones Society in 2010, we did a best films of the aughts series, which you guest wrote, uh, an entry for us. Yeah. I and, remember that. And yours was so much shorter than mine and my co-author. And I remember going, God, I got to get to the fireworks factory faster here, man. Like, because Rob is doing this with so much better economy than I am. <laughs> well, and that's it. That's always it. I mean, I always tell my students that too. I, I, I'm the communications chair at a college in the area here. And, uh, you know, it's the whole, the whole show, not tell kind of theory approach to, to writing where, if, if you can get a, a word and, and really nail it with that particular word, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between uh, the subtleties of a serpent and a snake, you know, a, sure. a snake is a type of serpent, but you know, you want to make sure that you, you get that, uh, that clarity as, as best you can. So it's all about writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and never being married to, uh, to anything that you write and realize that it's uh, again, to, to, Toss an old phrase out there. It's wrapping fish the next day. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and so here's the thing about that too. You'll appreciate. I'm not trying to be just some name dropping prick with this, but I, <laughs> I remember seeing an interview with Frank Darabont, who mm -hmm. directed Shawshank and Green Mile, and he was talking about a quote from William Goldman. And William Goldman mm -hmm. said, "You know, sometimes you got to murder your children yeah. be because you will get married to an idea or a phrase or." A construction and totally. you, you will you will get precious about it but at some point you just got to murder your children i am not above infanticide trust <laughs> me <I'm... laughs> well good uh, on the record here <laughs> so, right right exactly that, use that as a pull out yeah clip. um academic <laughs> advocates for murdering right. babies <laughs> <laughs> so natsukashi came from from two different things i mean one so i founded Early on, I was like maybe 23, 24, and founded a film festival in my local hometown here in, in Rehoboth Beach. And uh, I had been with that for 10 years, and it got to the point where I was doing more of the managerial stuff and not the fun film stuff that I liked mm -hmm. so much. So uh, as I was on the board, I kind of decided, you know, this is my time to if, to step step away from that. And I was still writing about film, but I didn't have – that outlet that uh that creative outlet and you know it was just around the time that that podcasts were were coming uh into the vernacular and we're like you know what that that sounds kind of cool i got some various equipment that i can just plug into my laptop and and plug into my home computer and, and how, how did you come by this equipment some of it was was just knowing people within the industry and by industry, I don't necessarily mean Hollywood, but I mean, you know, knowing people around the area here from the film festival and, and all things considered, you know, I had friends who, who worked as, as roadies or as, um, you know, sound yeah. guys. So they always had an extra, Oh, I'm going to get ready to throw this away. Do you want it? You know, and that, absolutely. I'll, Why not? I'll find <laughs> something. Or, yeah, exactly. So, 
then I heard this one word, and I, I wish I could remember where I heard it, but Natsukashi was a word that meant that, that it, you can't directly translate it into English, which I loved already. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it was so complex and it was, you know, essentially history is not always as we, as we recall it. Oh, okay. I yeah. thought that was so cool because, you know, I, I'm always talking to my students about how this lens, even though we write it down, it's through our own personal lens. Whatever we do, it's through our own personal lens. And sometimes things, things change. Things, you know, our, our perspectives change, our worldview changes, whatever. So, I thought it would be kind of cool to watch films that we remember from growing up. So, you know, seventies, like late seventies, early eighties films, uh, mid eighties, late eighties films, all like taking that whole era there and rewatch them again as adults. So the, the equation was really simple. It was the same film, same person, but completely different perspective. And it could be, wow, I can't believe I even like that shit or, (laughs) Oh my God, I can't believe I missed that. They said what? And I didn't even know the double entendre that, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, it was a cool concept. And then it started to evolve. It started to evolve a little bit with the different film groups that I was in. Uh, I ran into, uh, to somebody who said, Oh yeah, I know somebody who used to work on that film. And I can't remember. I think it was maybe Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. Oh my God. Um, with Mickey Rourke. Yeah. And, oh my uh, God. I was, a, I was a Mickey Rourke fanboy. I stand him. He, he, he <laughs> like back in the day, he, he could do no wrong in my mind. Um, I even, I even saw, I, I saw it more than once, Wild Orchid, which, oh, uh, Jesus. yeah, I know, I know. And a lot of people are just tuning out right now, but anyway. No, nah, man, um, everyone's here for any and all Wild Orchid content. Yeah. <laughs> I had the soundtrack to Wild Orchid. <laughs> Holy shit. I was such a nerd. Okay, um, dude. So real quick. First of yeah. all, I got to share this because one of my favorite experiences <laughs> in a movie theater ever involved Mickey Rourke, and it was in The Expendables. So, oh yeah, me and my friends. It was the day after a bachelor party, and we knew we wanted to like just get drunk and go see The Expendables. So we we sat in my <laughs> Honda. Watch it. Oh yeah, we sat in my <laughs> Honda Civic in the parking lot of this J.C. Penney outside the movie theater. And, and we're just pounding beers. We're all hungover, so we're just powering through these beers. And we go in and watch The Expendables. And if you remember in the middle of it, Mickey Rourke has this long soliloquy about, you know, watching a girl jump off a bridge and how he regrets not being able to save her. And it's it's delivered very tenderly, and he does right. a great job with this hokey script, right? Yep. Yep. The, the problem is it's, like, planted in the middle of the goofiest most exploitive action movie you've ever seen. Absolutely. And I am so drunk at this point, I start laughing, and I <laughs> cannot control myself. And I'm, like, I'm nearly choking to death. In, and it's like a 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday afternoon. And there's like a half dozen other people in there, and I'm making everyone visibly uncomfortable with how hard I'm laughing at this very tender scene. And he gets to the point where he says... I felt like if I could have saved her, I could have saved what's left of my soul. <laughs> At that point, I exploded and I walked out of the theater. <laughs> uh, I can honestly say I've, I don't think I've ever – I've hung through – and it wasn't because of my own personal embarrassment, but I, I think I've hung through almost every Mickey Rourke film that I that I set out to watch. Yeah. Um, but. But I, I completely understand that. And I don't know if it was 
just I think you know he was he was kind of the not as well known matinee idol of that time, right? You know, he's in nine and a half weeks with Kim Bassinger, which we try to sneak and watch on HBO late at night when our parents oh, yeah. are asleep, or, and uh, and and just you know. Followed him from from the jump and watched some of his older stuff too, and just realized, yeah, I I knew he was a, a nut job on top of it. But he went back and quit boxing and went or quit uh, acting and went back into boxing in the middle of his in the middle of his career. <laughs> fucked his face all up. And, yeah, made him uh, look all he, bizarre. <laughs> oh, he looks horrible now. But but <laughs> I, there was just something about it. I was probably just searching for okay, this is what a dude is supposed to be. Like this is what. I, I I recall John. I was on a podcast recently, and we were talking about um, you know talking about cinematic comfort food. One of them was mm-hmm. uh, for me. It was Streets of Fire. I fucking loved Streets of Fire. I made my kids watch it during quarantine, and <laughs> well done. It was well anything that had Walter Hill in it. Oh it had hell yeah! Bright, you know, I mean Walter Hill was like a god in the eighties. And uh, Ry Cooter did the soundtrack, who did this awesome, like, bluesy slide guitar in there. Michael Pere was at his, like, most Pereist. Diane Lane, you know, Will Oh, my Defoe. God. Diane was, Lane, dude. Yeah, my God, right? Exactly. Like, any so, anytime Unfaithful is on, I can probably watch that, even though I don't care for the subject matter. That movie is just highly, highly watchable for whatever reason. Absolutely. I'll watch Outsiders gladly with my kids anytime so that we can watch her as Cherry Valance in it. I mean, she's just, she was everything that, you know, we thought a, a woman should be at that time. And Michael Pere, I thought, was, you know, between that and Eddie and the Cruisers, holy shit, that Jesus, was it for Eddie me. And the Cruisers. So, wow, lot to chew on there. First of all, yep. Diane Diane Lane is shockingly great as the mom in Inside Out too, right? Or not oh, not Inside absolutely. Out too, but Inside Out also. Right, right, uh, right. And it it took me a minute, but I'm like, why is that voice so, so familiar? And this mom is drawn like kind of frumpy, you know, kind yep. of a little more heavy set. And then I'm like, wait, that's Diane Lane. What is happening here? How dare <laughs> you give her? <laughs> it's such a it's such a mistreatment right in, in cartoon form you know yeah but you you brought up cinematic comfort food you brought up walter hill who directed the warriors oh, which God. like if if we could go back and do a natsukashi episode i'd want to do one on the warriors like yeah. so bad i actually i had somebody who who i i remember trying my damnedest to get uh, because there was another guest on there who Warriors was his favorite film like of all time, and uh, I remember desperately like combing through the IMDb page, <laughs> yeah, like looking for the second unit op- camera operator or whatever, <laughs> right? just to find somebody who was remotely associated with this. And that's what I did. I mean, I, I really did comb through to see who had a web page or contact information available, reach out, and then ended up with. You know, Catherine Mary Stewart, who was in Night of the Comet and Weekend of Bernie's. So, yeah, exactly. You know, so and these people were just surprisingly. Uh, I had uh, the, the woman. Uh, God, I'm blanking on her name. Played Lacey Underalls from uh, from uh, Caddyshack. Oh, right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, but 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 they were surprisingly open and and they were you know, forthright and happy to join. So. So it just it turned into something really really fun and 
you know, we had a great time with it. What, what kind of, do you remember what kind of listenership you got? Because like, were you on the podcatchers at that point? Did they even exist? Or was no, all the traffic yeah. coming through natsukashi.wordpress.com, which is That's still it. up, by the that way. And Podbean, I know it is. I know I haven't even been there for a while, but Podbean was, uh, was essentially how, you know, how I had any traffic through. So wow. It was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, you know, I, I operated in the MySpace age of, uh, of podcasting. <laughs> Friendster. <laughs> God, no joke, man. And so, right. yeah, like I would listen to it, but it was always well produced and you'd always like write these like intros with a lot of wordplay and like you'd clearly done your homework. So, uh, let me, let me ask you this. Do you remember, and I'm putting you on the spot. Oh shit. But do you remember the episodes we did together? So I mentioned five and I'm on the site now. And, um, do, do you remember the other ones we did together? I have not been on the site, honestly, forever, John. I mean, I, the, I really, th- this is a decade and a half ago, not a decade and a half, but, um, a decade ago this past March. And so the last right, one we did was right. on March 6th, 2010. Um, so, okay. I'm going to do them in order. The first one we did was just one of the guys with Stu Carno. Then we did gung ho with Rodney Kageyama. Oh, he was great. And then we did the burbs with, uh, Peter Curran. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and Peter Curran, like, God, dude, I listened to that episode like in prep for this. And that dude worked on star Wars when he was like 17. He worked on the Muppet. He worked with uh with Yoda. I mean, he got to personally yeah. manhandle Yoda. I mean, how cool is that? He he was in some magazine in the C three PO costume because right, like right. he he was tall and skinny and he could, and Anthony Daniels was busy doing something else. And we did Turner yeah. and Hooch with writer oh, Jack Epps. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then the last one, and this one killed me because like you actually pitched this one to me. The last one we did was Cocoon with the writer Tom Benedek. And the whole time we did that episode, I remember thinking, this dude doesn't understand his own fucking movie. Do you remember that? Only when you just mentioned it, I was like, holy shit, that you just brought back a shit ton of memories, just like Natsukashi does. Yeah. But I absolutely recall that now. And that was... Some of these... John, it was so bizarre. Like some of these, you know, like I said, these were people who, who had peaked a lot of them. Yeah. They were just happy to have someone to talk to. And, and I, I, the most bizarre one I had, I'm sorry, did you want to keep going with him? Cause I have another one that's most bizarre. Okay. So let's touch on that. Like, okay. All right. We'll, we'll do that next. But the guy, yeah, yeah. the guy, Tom, yeah. Tom Benedict, he, so he wrote Cocoon. And every line that I like talked about that was really good, you know, like Wilfred Brimley talking about how he's going to miss baseball and hot dogs and, you know, they won't have grandsons there. He's like, yeah, Wilfred Brimley kind of ad-libbed that. And like every single thing that I pulled out, like what he didn't know was that he made this movie about mortality and about aging and about facing the unknown. He thought it was about aliens and sci-fi. And it's like, dude. That's the MacGuffin of this movie. That's exactly it. Yeah. So, like, it, I, I, the whole time I'm just listening to him talk, I'm going, dude, how do I understand your own movie better than you do? So, a side fact, fun fact, Wilford Brimley was 50 years old Yeah. when that was shot. Yeah, he was, like, barely older than Brian Dennehy. 
I, it was unbelievable. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, but this guy was, I mean, he was huge. He was, he was a member. I remember he was like, uh, he was, uh, on the motion picture arts and sciences. He was like a right on the writer's branch of that or something. Right. Didn't he? And he was, but he's, he was also a sculptor and he was a painter <laughs> or something. So, you know, just this, I, it was just a, it was a photographer as well. I mean, and it seemed like this was just one of the many things that just kind of just just did on the side. Kind of, as a, yeah, it kind of passed in front of him. You know, and you compare that against like the guy who wrote Turner and Hooch, who was like a professor at UCLA or something. Like, right, at that, who, who lived this, who right. lived this and breathed this. Yeah, who who was great. And he goes, you know what, I'll admit something to you. The whole plot of Turner and Hooch with the money smuggling and the ice and whatever, he's like, it didn't make any sense. And we knew right, that when exactly. we wrote it. And I go, thank God for this guy. Like, <laughs> this guy's actually not full of shit, which is really, really yeah. refreshing. And, like, that's the guy who wrote Top Gun, too. And there- He did uh, Secret of My Success, which I was going to get him back on to do that, and did uh, Dick Tracy as well, too. Well, and what's so funny is your lane of the Internet, like – I'm thinking, like, why weren't we talking to that one guy about Star Wars? Or why weren't we talking, you know, to Jack yeah. Epps about Top Gun? But, like, but, that's the, like that's what those guys always get interviewed about. It's exactly it. And to have the opportunity, like I was saying before, about the, being able to talk about that that one miraculous Hail Mary that you tossed on the football field yeah. back in high school – is something that they were more than happy to revisit and and reminisce about. So it was, it it served its very narrow lane because you're right. There was there were tons of Star Wars sites back ten years ago, even. Oh yeah, and, and there's even more now. Yeah, yeah. But so, no, and and you're you're right. I mean, have you ever seen Martin Sh- when Martin Short used to come out on Letterman, and he would open every single time by going, "Thank you for remembering." Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, right. Totally. <laughs> so that's yeah. almost, this, this was like the podcast version of that. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for, for being able to let me dust off some things in my attic that, uh, that I've been proud of, but never had a chance to show the grandkids. So now I get to. Yeah. Cause no one ever asks yeah. about them. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So, who, who was the guy who was. Uh, so I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not going to, um, Name specific names, but I'll, I just remember that, that, God, I, I, cause I don't want to, I, I don't want to, you don't want to slander anyone. I get it. Yeah, exactly. But, but, so it was a particular horror film in the eighties. Okay. Um, uh, that was about a beach that eats people. <laughs> it's like a Pat Oswald joke. I know. So, but anyway, <laughs> it was, he was, he was pushing for this to get a, uh, a Blu-ray treatment, like this big Blu-ray treatment. And we did the interview. We talked about it. We, you know, he went over, Bert, uh, Bert Young was in the cast and we talked about him and all these other things. And, and then I, I started to get this deluge of behind the scenes stills and these, you know, personal pictures from the film and so on and so forth. Because he was really looking at this to be his the big promotional push that he needed to get the Blu-ray release, and I'm like, dude, I own a shitty little corner of the internet that only people with a flashlight can fucking find. So there's no way that this is gonna do it. But I just remember this enormous picture he's putting on me. I'm like, 
I don't think I'm that guy. I don't <laughs> think I'm the guy to, to launch a dude. I'm sorry. I, I don't think was, I can help you level this up. Yeah, there's just no way. I just don't have that clout, man. I don't have that clout. But, but, uh, and it was right at the tail end too. And at the tail end, you know, at the end of Nascachi, I started to fill up with my own film reviews and not so much the interviews is because I just, like I said, it just didn't have it in, in my list of priorities. Um, my, my kids were just born when that started. So I could usually just give them some vodka and they'd sleep for a while while I did this. <laughs> But, uh, you know, now they started to realize and come out and be really angry drunks. So I, uh, I had to, uh, to tend to them and, and I just had life stuff that I wanted to make sure that I attended to. I didn't want to miss any of those. So, well, you know, oh, it's yeah. funny. I used to follow a lot of sports and then once my kids were born, not so much anymore. And like, your your oh you'll follow sports but it's just going to be in the bleachers and and cheering them on for <laughs> right but like i the the things that i used to be so passionate about and worked up about that kids will whittle you down to the things you actually care about and you will get there faster than you thought totally if you ever no more perfect example than just recently when Kanye West, I just saw a clip of it, but our next president, Kanye West, who was, um, he, he staged this concert and he was trying to figure out, he said in an interview somewhere, and I feel bad for the guy. I don't want to knock this guy because I know he's suffering from, you know, he's got some really bad, um, psychological conditions that his family's doing nothing about. But anyway, he, he staged this performance where he was going to play in the middle of a lake. This is just like last weekend or something. He's going to play in the middle of a lake and he was going to walk on water. So he had this stage set up like right okay. under the surface of it. Yeah. Cause he didn't know if he was the manifestation of Moses or, you know, whoever. But anyway, he starts to walk out on there, but he's, he's with his two kids and his two kids are not happy about having to do this. And they are elbow checking him and just pushing him down this, this runway. And I was just like, you know, there it is. Kids will just equalize you. I mean, no matter what, you're given that you want to be Jesus and walk on water. Mm -hmm. And these kids are like, hey, Pop, I'm hungry. Let's go to McDonald's. You know, I mean. <laughs> Dude, I, I saw Dave Grohl say the same thing. Oh, he, he's like, hero. he and he's like, you know, your kids don't care that you're in like one of the coolest bands or, you know, that, that you think you're this badass drummer or lead singer or whatever. Yep. They'll just be like, Dad, I need a smoothie. And you go, okay. Yep. And all, all of a sudden, you kind of know your role and where you are. Dave Grohl, and I've seen him in full dad mode because he, he comes to where I live every summer and goes to – because I live in a resort community. So yeah. there's a boardwalk in, by the beach, and I've seen him there on more than one occasion at Funland, which is you know just this little boardwalk amusement stand, and he's in there with his kids. And I, I, I swear to God, John, I'll never forget, you know, just like maybe uh, four or five years ago. And I saw him and I was just, you know, completely just geeking out like to my wife. I'm like, that's Dave Grohl. It's Dave Grohl. It's yeah. my hero. <laughs> and nudging. And I couldn't do anything, but I just like looked over him, gave him a quick head nod. He winked back, gave a quick head nod. <laughs> and that was it. And everyone did the same thing to him there. Because when he's down here, he's just dad Grohl. That's you know, awesome. He's not Dave. He's not the rock god that everyone else sees him. And that's, it was really cool. It was awesome. <laughs> My sister-in-law was talking about she used to live out in Southern California, so she would come across people all the time. Right. And 
she was parked next to this SUV that had, you know, its its back hatch open. And there's just this dad in there changing a diaper, you know, in the trunk, which we're, we've all been there, right? I mean, I've absolutely changed many diapers in the bed of a trunk. And, your children. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's just a service I offer. <laughs> Good for you. I just Good go outside the grocery store. Curbside. And, you know, <laughs> curbside. <laughs> and, yeah, just put a sign up. So, but yes, my kids. And she realizes it's, it's Drew Brees right next to her. Oh, man. Like, just, awesome. you know, changing this diaper and the, so, yeah, yeah kids, I, I really liked your turn of phrase there. They will equalize you. Yeah. They totally will. They, they will level the playing field for you. So whatever, whatever visions of grandeur that you may have in your head and what, what you've been told and what the, you know, the screen will, prepare you for it. Once you, once you have kids then and you realize that where your true responsibilities are, if you are a true parent, I guess, in the truest sense of the word, then everything else kind of falls by the wayside. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me, Rob, because it occurs to me, this is a very meta episode. We're almost doing a Natsukashi episode about Natsukashi. Right. And right. so do you, John <laughs> do you ever, does it ever pull at you? Because as I said, the concept that you came up with was definitely novel 10 years ago. Now there's a lot of podcasts kind of dedicated to doing that. You know, you'll get people going yeah. back and like rewatching an entire run of a show. Like for right. instance, the guy who created Zach Morris's trash is watching all of Saved by the Bell with Mark Paul Gosseler. Right. 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 That, that to me is a Natsukashi kind of thing. Absolutely. And so Absolutely. do you ever lament the timing or are you happy to have done it? Like, do you care? Yeah, no, it, it doesn't matter. I, I, John, I'm, I'm not, I, I rarely look over my shoulder. I mean, it's just life is way too fast for that. I've got, uh, I've got a, a new gig that, that I, I do with a gentleman who's a filmmaker down here that we do what well, we have done on a monthly basis uh, prior to the pandemic. You know, that's that's what's occupying time now. This was this was fun, and I'm glad I had a chance to do it in there. But but uh, I just I I can't afford rearview mirror looks like that. They're just yeah. um, you know I, I'd rather just kind of move on to the next one and and just be be happy that I had that moment and had that opportunity to do it when I did. Because and you talked really, to some cool people too. Exactly. I mean, I made some really cool connections. You and I connected that way. You know, I mean. I wouldn't be talking to you today if, uh, yeah. if that hadn't happened. So, well, Rob, it's so funny. Like after the first one we did, you know, so Stu hangs up after playing his weird piano song. And I feel like <laughs> you and I talked for like an hour and a half after that. And like, yeah. we, oh, absolutely. We'd get done with these interviews and we just go on chatting. I remember it was right around the time of Jersey Shore. And you referred oh to God. one of those guys as you're like, and then, you know, I don't, I can't remember the name of the kid with the fucking UFO on his head, which oh, is, is yeah. how, how I always remembered that kid going forward. Oh, shit. And I think it's Polly. No, that's it. It was DJ Polly. Yeah. DJ Polly right. D. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, right. there, there was right. a situation, there was Vinny and, uh, no, it was Polly and he had those weird, like almost like he was an ankylosaurus tail. You know, like <laughs> with the giant gelled up spikes. And I remember thinking, I'm like, damn, I wish like Rob and I lived closer together. And oh, dude, totally. I mean, we, like we'd hang out and drink beers all the time because you also told me you were friends with the guy from Dogfish Head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Sam, before he became a uh, 
multimillionaire and selling out to uh to Sam Adams. Yes, right. absolutely. But but ironically, I mean here's and here's the fun thing about that is that how paths kind of have crossed and, and destiny just has a way of kind of you know meshing things in there. My uh a a gentleman who who taught for years for me, uh taught photography for years, he does a graphic designer as well. He did this this one design that has become pretty ubiquitous in the area. It's um, our area code in inside a uh, a horseshoe crab, um, the shell of a horseshoe crab, because we have a very large horseshoe crab population here. Anyway, he's known for his designs, and I gave him the first real showing of it at this new venture that we do called Revival House, and I can fill you on that. But yeah, yeah. Anyway. I gave him, you know, a chance to kind of display his wares there. And that's where he kind of introduced himself to the public through that. And it took off after that so much so that he just this last week had a, a meeting with, uh, with Sam. Um, and Sam wants him to help design something and, you know, beer related for him. So wow. I don't even know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but, <laughs> but I, uh, I, I, I don't know that I have that kind of juice. Well, to where hey. to, to where someone who who would care that much about spoiling that aspect of it? Who but else? you may know somebody who could get a a Blu-ray done of a shitty '80s horror movie. So maybe I'll. Uh... <laughs> Please don't send that gentleman to me. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I was going to ask you, like, what are you up to these days? You you are chair of the department at uh, at your community college. I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear more yeah. about that because I remember like when we were talking regularly, I mean, as regularly as we talked a right. decade ago, you had like almost just become chair. Yeah. Right? And now yeah. it's a decade later, man. And you're still at it. I'm still at it. Well, here's the good thing about it is that, that, uh, when I took the, the department chair role, it was for two programs. It was for English and communications. And since then, I was able to grow the communications department so much so that they had to splinter it off into two. So nice. I got to keep just with the communications, just with the, you know, the, the nerds and the fingerless gloves and dusters and stuff that, you know, that I like my people. Sure. Um, <laughs> and, and leave the gen ed to somebody else. So that made it worthwhile to, to stay with. Other than that, I, I have become, I was, I think when we talked, cause I've been there for a while, but I, I work with a, uh, a local marine mammal stranding response organization down here. And we're kind of the first responders anytime there's a whale, seal, dolphin, sea turtle on our beaches. Um, and then, you know, we work with a network of agencies up and down the coast. So I've been doing a lot of programs for them in the summer. I do a dolphin watch where I take kids out, well, families out on a huge boat and we go out and I talk about the dolphins and, and I, you know, give them items from, from the various sea creatures and talk about that the whole time. And, and it's, it's a way to be out on the water every single, you know, every single week. And it's just a fun job. It's just really, really cool to hang out with dolphins all day. Um, but cinematically, aside from writing for uh, film threat, my buddy and I, uh, started this project and we are now, um, I don't know, this is our fifth year, I think, together doing it. We have this really awesome little theater down here called the Milton Theater. And it's this, you know, turn of the century theater, turn of the 
20th century theater. Right. <laughs> yeah, which um, which is getting weirder to say because I yeah. I still feel like it's like 2005 or something. Right? Totally. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. So, so uh, yeah, you say like 10 years ago. That feels like it should be like 1997. Yeah, you know? well, <laughs> considering this, that this past year alone has felt like 17 years, so. <laughs> yeah, dude, this year has been endless. Yeah, so we, we had this cool little theater exposed brick walls and so on and so forth. And we, we did a monthly film program there where we did Monty Python and the Holy Grail sing along where uh, we did labyrinth for the families where we gave them um, audience participation, where we gave them bubbles and, and, you know, we'd have people from our generation from like the Gen Xers taking their kids to watch labyrinth and, like the Goonies, we, we had a, uh, hired a bunch of guys who had, uh, who were like, you know, they, they did Delaware, uh, pirate presentations throughout the state and they would come in and did this whole pirate thing beforehand and we hid treasure around the theater form. So it, it, we were able to, I mean, it was just such a cool little sandbox of, of geekdom where we had like, we did the room, um, the Tommy Wiseau, Wiseau <laughs> film. Where we had audience, full audience participation, where we gave them plastic spoons to throw at the theater uh, screen. So, so you're doing you're doing this Rocky Horror type stuff. This is exactly it. I mean, and and other events, but we tied in local musicians. So all of our friends who were in local bands would play beforehand. We tie in a place for local artisans to kind of display their work, and we do that every month. So you know, it, it, it was just a fun way for us, and we did local competitions. So every year. We going back to Natsukashi days, like we showed. Uh, I did uh, black exploitation double feature, right? Yeah, one of my favorite genres. We did three the hard way, and then we hmm. did Black Dynamite. And I had the director of Black Dynamite zoom in with us. We had Eli Roth. Uh, we did a screening of, of Cabin Fever, and Eli Roth zoomed in and and answered all the questions from the audience. Um, you know, so. We were able to, to really kind of notch up what I did there up a level and, and make it fun and engaging. And uh, this past uh, last month, we did uh, a fundraiser for the frontline uh, workers of the local hospital uh, where we showed Jaws on a 50-foot screen in this huge field. Oh and we did these like social distancing, we call them pods, that um, you know, are 10, 10 feet in diameter where families would come and put all their shit down in that little pod. And if you got up to walk around, put your mask on. But other than that, sit down, watch the movie. We had food and all that. We raised probably close to $50,000 for the local hospital on that one alone. So much so it was, and everyone was cool. Like not, you know, no super spreader, no, you know, Sturgis part two or anything. We didn't have smash mouth perform. Um, (laughs) But, Somebody uh, once told yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> so they asked us to do it again, and we're working on one for October now. We're going to do a, a Halloween double feature. So, so I'm still getting my, you know, my fix in. I'm still being able to tap that vein and uh, and and get my fix. God, dude, that's awesome. And like, I mean, I, I I'm not looking to flatter you with this, but I'd, I'd expect nothing less. Just because. <laughs> oh. You know, like Natsukashi was, it, it plays almost an outsized role in my brain because that was right about the time I started really like understanding podcasting as a thing, 
right? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, for me, like I had just started listening to like Bill Simmons and like This American Life. And at the time, like Adam Carolla had gotten laid off from CBS radio and I wasn't exhausted by him at the time as I am now. And, and so he was doing just more like long form type interviews, you know, more like Charlie Rose kind of stuff who turns out is also a creep, but like, like nothing is safe anymore ever. I know. I know. But (laughs) all the things we love and cherish just Uh, burned to the ground. Yeah. Just. It's, uh, it's, it's really quite a reckoning that we're all going through at the moment. But so one of the things I wanted to bring up too is I became one of the official podcasts of Denver Film Fest and they reached out to me. Their press guy had found my podcast. And so I started doing that in like, um, in 2015. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to interview like filmmakers and people who work on these, these movies. And he gave me, this weird slate of films to watch, which is right. the best part about film fests. Uh, Absolutely. You, you never know what you're going to see. And I remember thinking, like, because most of mine I had pitched myself, very rarely did I do kind of what I would refer to as a mercenary-style interview. But the first time I did it, I remember I'm like, okay, you kind of have to be both Rob and E-Dagger in this interview. <laughs> right. And be, because it was so great the way you did it, because you'd have the the guest and then you'd have the, the kind of person remembering and right. you, you'd punt it to both of us and you'd sort of like just, you know, throw it. But but you would keep the trains running on time in a really remarkable way. And so to that end, I kind of got used to talking to people who work in film. And that's a different kind of interview because those folks yeah. tend to be interviewed a lot. Right. And so right. the thing I liked was the, the balance that you struck between not being too gushy, not being too obsequious about it, but also not being too, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like interrogating, you know, because like there's things you want to know, but ultimately you're just trying to create a vehicle for them to remember interesting shit. That's, and that right there, you hit the nail on the head, John, is like the interesting shit is what you're always hoping to get like you always want that one kernel that is not the, the prototypical answer of like, what's your inspiration for this? Oh or, God, shoot me in the face. You get your start. Exactly. And that's, that's the one thing, you know, we, you try to dig into the, the, their memory banks and go through their Rolodex of the things that they feel comfortable in saying, but they don't have a chance to share in your standard mm-hmm. five minute, uh, interview that they'll do for for some larger, more formatted, yeah, like uh, like press junket style, exactly. And right. here you get a chance to, you know, it was it was a conversational thing, and we were able to to really kind of sit down and and just let them work it a little bit, and that's why it always worked when we had two of us on one side and then the other person because. You know, when when it clicked like you and I did, or uh, Count Vargelon, who I'm still yeah. friends with, and I still do his podcast with him um, occasionally as well. God, there's you a know, name from the past. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he's still doing it, man. And he, in fact, in fact, here's it. So, just to show you how that all again, how the that fabric continues to to thread through. He just wrote a film that 
won a lot of accolades at this film festival and film threat the magazine that I write for had just given like a 10 out of 10. And I said, Hey, you want to talk to the director? And he got him hooked up and, and, you know, they had a one-on-one interview with the director in there because, because Dan knew him. So having that two person account and we were talking to them as fans of it, like we sought them out when they're doing a press junket, you know, it, it's usually you, you're obligated to do this and you have to, so finding that is even more difficult. Like what you did is even more difficult for us. We're talking about something that they've done in the past. And usually again, that, that whole nostalgia thing, you know, rose colored glasses at first. And only when you get a chance to talk to them, you know, does that, does that rose tint start to, to jaundice a little bit or whatever. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it can change, but they're, they're happy to talk about it because it was from, from a place of not just curiosity, but fandom or love or, or, or passion for whatever it is that whatever project that they might have thought was just an, uh, one off, you know, we found that it, it profoundly or at least in some way affected our childhood. Yeah, 100%. And when I listen to, I always try and listen to other interviews that anyone I've, I'm interviewing has done because I don't want to ask right. them those questions again. And, you know, it's like when I interview a band, I never ask them, you know, so how'd you guys get your name? Like, just exactly. Just go lay down in traffic if you're going to ask that question to a band. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there there are more interesting ways to get them to answer that question than by asking them straight ahead. And they're immediately going to go, okay, nope, no, I can see how this is going to go. No, thank you. So, I mean, I know I'm always swimming uphill. Swimming uphill? Right. I write for a sure. living. <laughs> Swimming uphill on a bike. <laughs> it's tough, man. It's a triathlon all in one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I know I'm going to be swimming upstream because yeah. it's like I'm this local podcast and they go, you know, who the fuck is this guy? So you immediately kind of have to establish some credibility and establish some rapport and build that bridge. And once you do and you can get on the same kind of island together. Man, dude, you'll create magic. And so I, I know, like, I learned that from you because your prep was always so good. In, I, for instance, I listened to that Burbs episode again. Oh, wow. And you pushed me in a direction I didn't know I was going to go. And one of them was the suspicion that your neighbors are always up to something. Because, right. you know, you talked about kind of how suburbia was this trope in the 80s. And you mentioned uh, the money pit. And I, you may have even brought up something like fatal attraction. I can't even remember. But like whatever it was, like the suburbs were heavy on everyone's minds in the 80s. Yep. And so I go, yeah, and you could even take that back further to something like I Dream of Genie or Bewitched where they're, you know, they have this really glossy exterior, but they're all hiding something. Brady Bunch. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> Mad Men, you know, the character of Don Draper is not actually him. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. But, like, he's he's kind of hiding this secret. And so, you know, you look at the burbs and these weird, monstrous kind of people move next door. But you played that up in your intro. So immediately, you know, this was not first on Peter Coran's kind of. Uh, right. Oh, yeah. When, when he gives a list of his accomplishments. It's, yeah. <laughs> that's not the first one. Um, but But the fact that you had done that, I think demonstrates to him that he goes, okay, no, we can actually talk on this one and I don't have to like read the boilerplate of a press release. But you, you said it 
best right there. And I think that's why you've been able to do, what, a couple centuries? You're now, what, 250 episodes, 260, something like that? Uh, let's see. What went up today or yesterday? Yeah, 265 as we record this. Okay. Yeah, I so think you're 266. That longevity is with purpose. It's for a reason. And what you just mentioned is is key. And that's something so simple but so few do in this, you know, time crunch society that we're in is do your fucking homework. Just do your homework. And it really doesn't take much more. We are at an age now where we can get flooded. And if it's not, don't just settle for the, for the first wiki page that you have as a landing. Dig just a little bit deeper. Just that much is enough to impress and to, to show them that, Hey, look, you really cared about this enough to, to spend some time before you went ahead and and contacted me and that's all it takes it really is that's all it takes because a you're you're going to impress them and then b the result is you're going to get better content for whatever it is that you're you know that you're promoting you know so, <laughs> in, in the movie absolutely in the movie the usual suspects which again let's talk about another creep here kevin spacey oh god i know let's just bring up this litany Good of god <laughs> Of miscreants. No, nowhere is safe. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's talking about Kaiser Soze and he's like, you didn't, you didn't need money. You didn't need numbers. You just needed the will to do what the other guy won't. Yeah. And that's how you get good. And that's what I tell people all the time. Like, I am not afraid in my, any aspect of my business to dig the ditch. I will get in the backyard, put my that's spade it. in the ground and turn over the earth. Like, Absolutely, and so few people are actually willing to do that. And it's best top journalism, you know. Right, and I, I mean, I, I know it, it makes me feel good for all the kids that come through your college because it's like you, you get to convey that to them. I mean, think about. I know what it's like to put on an event, and you're putting on a screening of a film that has these elements, you know, live bands and you know, pirate right, treasure right. and you know, artisans and things like that, the layer of complexity, so few people are willing to actually do that. But it's, it's important to, to walk the walk when you're doing something like that. I mean, you know, you still have your career. You still have several things that, that keep you occupied outside of drinking beer. But, but seriously, and, and that's important because those other, not only does it nuance you as an individual, but, you can speak with a little bit of authenticity and that really helps. So when I talk to him about how difficult it may be for, uh, for someone, you know, I have so many students who are like, Oh, I want to write films for a living. I'm like, no fucking way. It's not going to happen for you. Good luck, but it's not going to happen. It's just that, that, that job is no longer that it no longer exists. And I'm sure it's even, you know, going to be worse off for them when after this all shakes out and whatever theaters are going to look like in five years from now. Right. Well, so at least there's an authenticity there by saying, okay, if you do, then, you know, what's your voice and you can't force it and don't be fake and, you know, have an opportunity to uh, do just a little bit more than the next guy, spend a little bit more time than the next guy on it. And don't just rattle off what you liked or didn't like about the movie, but, but put it in context, give some historical context mm -hmm. of what films influenced it. And, you know, where, where the director was before this or so on and so forth. Just, just take a, you said dig, dig the ditch. Dude. And absolutely. Like not only if you want to write films or you want to write about films, 
not only do you need to have watched a lot of films, but you need to read a lot of film criticism. No doubt. Right? So know what no what you think works and what doesn't. You know, read Roger Ebert. Read Nathan Rabin. Read Pauline Kael. Read Leonard Malton. Like, yep. read these people and, and, and get a feel for it because, like, that's going to be really, really important. How are other people talking about this? What kinds of techniques are they are they using? Who are they pulling in? Who are they citing? Then go read those people. And you don't even have to see the films that they see. I mean, you can learn about film through their words. You know, Richard, Richard Schickel, you could, you know, you could learn so much about some of the, you know, earlier films that you might not have a chance to watch. But holy smokes, will he want to make you watch those films? You know, oh, yeah. And, and that's the cool thing. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. And. You know, know, and your point about, like, I want to write films, it's like, okay, if you want to get paid to do that, that is, again, you're going to be whatever I said, swimming uphill. But (laughs) is is there, uh, like, a 48-hour film project out near you? We actually actually put one on, although we didn't do 48 hours. We gave them them, uh, seven days. Okay. but, like the ring. But you're familiar or, with like the 48-hour film project, right? Absolutely. Okay. Sure. So I, in. I've participated in that three times now, and I was the writer on all three of them. And like you can write films, and that will te- – like doing it in that truncated a timetable, man, you will learn a lot about yourself as a writer. Absolutely. And yeah. And so I realized like me and my writing partner, I'm kind of the structure guy. Like I know how to put together a story. I know how to build the blocks. I know how right. to, like where the story turns and all that. He is the funny one. Like he puts the sizzle on it. He gets to the heart of a joke so fast. Yeah. And and so knowing where our rhythms are there, I, like I would write something and I'd be like, okay, you know, exposition here, uh, blocking, you know, they're doing this thing and that advances the plot. And I'm and I would even sometimes just write in, there's a joke here. And I would just like leave it blank for him to yep. fill it in. Like once Little you mad libs, humor mad libs. <laughs> totally. Like and once you have your characters and you kind of know what their motivations are and what they're doing, he would read that and he knew exactly how to sniper in a perfect joke, which I don't have that rhythm. That's why I'm not good at Twitter, you know? Well, I, that's and and Rob, my my partner at, at Revival House, uh and his I, name is we, Rob too. Unfortunately, yes. You guys are so, adorable. I uh, know the Robs. So, uh, we, he and I are very similar in that way in that, you know, I like to just bring the, the quick deadpan, whatever humor. I'll be the fall guy. I don't mind. And, and he knows exactly the shot sequence that he has in mind. He knows how to make the most of a shitty edit and be able to. So we, we play off each other really, really well with that and, and we connect, you know, I'll, I'll send you the, the link to our site, but we've made, we've made promotional videos out there sometimes that have been, we're just, you know, we had the best time making them because, because of that, that, that working relationship that we had and, uh, you know, it still lasts, it's lasted five years and we're still going strong. So which one of you, uh, is the asshole when you have to be? Oh God, that's Rob Waters. That's Rob okay. easily. That's the other Rob. He is, in fact, I have to. I have to usually. I am like the street sweeper after the parade when the horses go by, and I'm constantly like, you know, scooping it up, saying, "Okay, all right, sorry about that, guys." Um, so here's the yes, yes, I'll okay. be the one who's the uh, the apologetic one. You're, you're the peacemaker. Okay, that's my writing. Absolutely. Par- that's yep. my that's my writing partner, Jason. When we're 
brainstorming an idea. Like I'm not afraid to to fight for my idea. If yep, and like, but here's the thing: I'm not like a dick about it either. You know, right, like right. if if we get to a place where there's a better idea or like it really needs to be this way, fine, then great. But you know what? I'm not going to let this just go by. And right. so, like, you kind of need the yin and the yang here. As no doubt, no, no doubt, you have to have that, and it's tough to be one person. I mean, we're talking about you know these these partnerships that we formed and how well they do. So when someone goes out to do it on their own, you have to play both roles, and it's really tough to convince somebody that way because somebody could be really funny, but they don't know dick about how to structure a narrative around that. Or vice versa, someone could write the hell out of something, but my God, the characters are bone dry, and the, you know the story is is just plotting and goes on too long, and it's filled right. with a bunch of adjectives that don't need to be there, and so it's it's tough. You really have to refine yourself. You almost have to go back and you know split your personality, be like uh, M Night Shyamalan, you know, and 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 read it one way with that one part of the brain mm-hmm. and then go back and read it again as the second part. It's not an easy lesson to no. learn, but you don't learn until you do it a few times too. So absolutely, you know, yeah. I, I have people who come to me a lot and they'll say, you know, I've been thinking about starting this podcast. I really want to start a podcast. I go, great, do it. Like just do it. And they're like, no, I think I need, you know, this equipment or I'm like, you need jack shit. Okay. Here's a list of the stuff that I use. Okay. Right. You can right. take that. You could have. You could have jumped on Google and had all this in five seconds. Exactly. So why are you not actually already doing this? Is always the question I ask. And people are afraid of taking the leap. People are afraid of looking foolish. I, I, I can send you the first forty-eight we did, and holy shit, it's <laughs> it's a tough watch. <laughs> um, technically, it's okay. Everyone was kind of finding their footing. So this was. Good Lord, this was like 2010 also. But the second two we did were really good and ended up winning a bunch of awards because like we knew a lot more about what we were doing. We knew who we were as writers. We knew what the roles were. The only way to figure that out is by doing it a bunch of times. And that's it too. And not, I think not being afraid to, to call yourself out on your own fuck ups, you know, because again, it goes back to that authenticity that we were talking about because I think there's, there's so many times where they get so caught up in making sure that that, that that image is not tarnished in any way. And, and I say this to anyone who starts teaching for me is don't profess to know the answers. I've been at this for 10 plus years and I don't know the answers and the communications industry is always changing anyway. So nine times out of 10, they probably know more about, (laughs) about what it is or, or the resolution to what you want before you do or, you know, better than you do. So don't be afraid to just say, Hey, look, you know what? I don't know, but I'll help you find the answer. And I'll, I'll show you the places where I would look to get the answer. Yeah. And and that's just it because that authenticity students and kids in general can sniff that out, man. You go up there and you, you pretend like you are the emperor of, of the classroom or, or whatever space that you're residing in. And, and they can they can sense a scripted plot, you know, uh, miles away. Well, so, yeah, that authenticity is huge. I mean, having done PR for as long as I have and interviewing yeah. as many people as I have, if someone comes on here and I, if I smell boilerplate, like yep. b- believe me, I'm gonna knock them off their axis. And like you find, if if you can if you can just sort of elbow someone off the path that they want to be on, 
the more you do that, the harder it is for them to get back to that path. One thing I know, because I taught, so when I got my master's, I taught public speaking for two years. And so, yeah, I was a, I was a speech instructor and you get up there the first time and man, you got to show no fear because those kids are looking at you and you're kind of not used to that energy where you go, Oh shit. Like this entire class moves because I say it does. And you take it for granted until you're up there the first time facing that firing squad. It is. And, And it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange exhilarating feeling that even, after doing this for as many years as I have being in education, I still get those, those, those nervous butterflies in your stomach before the first day of class. And I I've said that to others. I was like, the, the day you lose that is a day you should probably find another profession to get into because that excitement should always be there because you just don't know. And, and that in our industry more than anything is so freaking important because You've got to have your plans B, C, D, and E when the mics don't work, when the cameras aren't working, when you didn't record something, when, you know, it is one thing to show kids a video of how to work, uh, you know, a Canon DSLR, but it's another to give it to them and say, okay, you're going to go shoot outside and then have a cloud uh, go by, or you're, you just decided that you're filming next to a, uh, an airport or a car honks in the middle of a dramatic scene or whatever, you know, all those things can happen, all those variables. So how are you going to deal with that? What are you going to do? You know, are you going to stress out or are you just going to, you know, that's the, the industry in a nutshell is, is rife with moments like this. And the better you prepare the students for it now, the better, the stronger they're going to be when they hit the job market. Cause a lot of times that's where they leave where from, from us and go right out there. So we try to make sure that they are, as prepared as possible because that plan B and C sometimes will fall right on its ass and then you're, you're stuck and you can look like a pro or you can look like a, sh- a schmuck. You know? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Rob, when, when was the last time we talked? It was probably in person, uh, or, or even talk, like, talk? so yeah, I mean, even on like Facebook messenger where yeah, it was a, a year or so ago on Facebook, yeah, it was, yeah, it was at least. I, I am rarely, I swear to God, if I didn't like randomly have to go on there, I'm horrible with, with my Facebooking. I just, I found that especially in this climate, in this day and age, I just can't, uh, I, I just, I, I've, I've kind of tried to resolve myself of all social media interaction because, uh, yeah. I want to keep the friends I have. I have friends of all political stripes, of all shapes and sizes and, I don't need to go any further down into that. I want to keep them as is. So. Well, I re- I recently <laughs> deleted Facebook and Twitter off my phone, and I am much happier for it. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's been something like two months now, and I don't miss it. No. But, and it's amazing the things you do appreciate once you do delete it from there. Absolutely. And so I was just looking back through Messenger, and it looks like I we exchanged lines in like 14 – and then in 17, and then last year, like a year and a half ago, and then I reached out to you recently just because I was thinking about guests. And the thing I wanted to kind of leave you with and convey to you is, even though we don't talk, I feel like anytime we pick it back up, I feel like I talked to you last week. I agree. I agree. I think that's why I had you on so much right. in Natsukashi, because I felt like regardless, I mean, the fact that we had never 
never stood next to each other face to face. And still that, haven't. And still haven't, right. And there was a time, there was almost a time that we did. I remember mm. it, it, it worked out. You were in like the upper part of the state or something. I was either in DC or in Philly. Yeah, in Philly, I think. But yeah. I, I, and I recall that we were trying to, to make that, make that work. But anyway, regardless of that, I feel like that's why we had the hour long conversation afterwards because I, I feel as though, you know, if we had, if we had been in the hometown, then we would probably be co-hosting this podcast together or <laughs> probably. or doing something or, or creating some sort of trouble or, you know, both be, you know, raging alcoholics and, and <laughs> feeding off each other's anger. <laughs> well, you, I, I only know you in this context, but you don't strike me as a particularly angry gentleman. No, um, no, no. No, I mean, and it, I'm so happy to hear that. And and it's important, like, it's fun to look back occasionally, you know, like, like we did today, but I'm happy to hear that you're looking ahead, always doing the next thing, and it sounds like you're doing great things, but one thing you can know is that you live in one of the happiest places in my memory, so this has been a real thrill. I I, I can't tell you, and I mean this honestly, there's, there's no greater reward as an instructor than to hear back from a student who had has gone on to to reach heights like yours of you know 268 episodes for crying out loud it's amazing and and to hear that is just that's the greatest reward of of our career as an instructor and and you know i i ran into a student the other day it was so funny he was so excited he landed this job and he's like and i owe it all to you because you know you told me about the cover letter and and i, I was a grammar nazi on it blah blah and i was like i said look mike I appreciate that, but you were the one who wrote it. You wrote it in here all the time. You had it in you the entire time. I was the conduit there. That's all I was. And, you know, it's just like when somebody says, hey, Jesus, thank you for the touchdown. I'm like, I didn't see Jesus in the stands there. I didn't, you know, it's, <laughs> I didn't know he, he had favorites in sports. You know, you're, you're belittling <laughs> yourself when, when, you know, he's belittling himself when that, I'm not saying you are, but, but I said, to him that he's belittling himself when he's diminishing his own accomplishments. And I think it is just awesome that you have gone on to reach as many as you have and, and sounding as good as this does. I mean, I'm just so impressed with this, with this, the, the entire setup. I like the, the concept. I like the, the execution of it. I mean, it's just, it's just a really cool thing you've got going and you've created a really cool community for people. Um, in, in, in your universe there. It's, it's awesome. That's great. Well, it's, I mean, that, that means a ton to me. And, you know, I over, I owe everything to my Lord and Savior. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I keep waiting for the athlete to blame Jesus for when it doesn't yeah. go well. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, would have had a touchdown, but Jesus came up and yeah. made me fumble. Yeah, game was going great until Jesus made me fumble. Yeah. Um, but, but, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So we could, uh, we could sit here and admire each other all day, but, yeah. um, let's close on this note. Rob, uh, yeah. where can people find you? Plug anything you want. I, I know it's COVID times, but if you want to plug, um, you know, yeah. your, your film criticism work, the, the work you're doing locally, the marine mammal, um, uh, anything at all, it's all yours. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, uh, if anything, if it's film related, then, um, you know, you can check out my byline at Film Threat. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a very, 
it's an older, it started as a zine actually back in the nineties. So this thing's been around for a while. It's a cool publication. I was so excited to, to still be able to maintain writing, uh, during this time. So I, I write for them when I can, which is great, um, and fun. And, uh, the revival house is more local based. So it's, we, we've, do usually monthly events, but like I said, we're gonna we're gonna have another fundraiser out in the field during uh, to try and raise money for the local frontline COVID workers here. Um, and then you know anything with with uh, marine mammals is uh, Mare Institute. M E R R stands for Marine Education Research and Rehabilitation. And uh, really, that's that's just trying to to educate people about how to to be better. Uh, global citizens, but also at, at, in, when it comes to waterways, just how to, how to make sure that you're, you know, cut back on, you know, non-reusable plastics and things like that. Because I've seen the direct effects of, of what it can do to these creatures. And I've had, you know, I've, I've, we've, we've done, uh, necropsies on, on sea turtles that have had no fewer than the six forms of plastic in its belly. Yeah. So, you know, not to end on a bummer note, but you know, that's, that's real. Yeah. It is. I mean, that's, that's what we're living in these days. And, and, you know, that's important to, to just educate yourselves, just like we were talking about earlier. It's just the more you know about it going into it, the better off you're going to be. 100%. I'll, that I'll leave with one quote that, that I live my life by. And I heard it from um, probably one of my favorite, most favorite human beings on the planet who almost was in the creep category, but I don't think is. And that is Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson, hmm. who I just so admire for, from because he's just smarter than I'll ever hope to be in my life. They asked him on Reddit one time, what his daily philosophy was? And he said, you know what? It's rather simple. It is no more today than I knew yesterday and help each other along the way. Life does not get more simple than that, John. Yeah. I mean, have that hunger for knowledge and then just help each other, help each other out. I, I love that, and it reminds me of like what Pat Oswalt's first wife said, uh, Meredith Salinger, who right, right. has a lot. Or wait, no, Michelle McNamara. My apologies. Yeah, Meredith Salinger right. is his current wife. Current um, wife. Michelle McNamara um, used to say, "It's chaos out there. Be kind." I, I think that's, that's a lovely note to end on. Rob Rector, man, what a pleasure. What a thrill to actually get to see your smiling face. It's nice that Dude. when we when we did this, we used to do it over landlines. Oh yeah, <laughs> dial up <laughs> totally. Uh, but you know, we're, oh, that's great. Technology's advanced, and we gotta let not so much time go by. Uh, I wish you safety, sanity, health, all the good things, man. And uh, take care of yourself. Peace to you, my friend. And that'll do it for episode two sixty six of the John of All Trades podcast, featuring Rob Rector, founder of Natsukashi, writer at Film Threat, curator of cool shit at the Revival House and member of the Murr Institute. Be sure to check out all those links on the John of All Trades companion blog piece, johnofalltrades.us, or the show notes, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or a billion other podcatchers. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. Not only do this show, I produce three others, two more in development. I want to work with you. So hit me up. Email is J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4 Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4 Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're building a website, doing an email marketing campaign, doing social media advertising, web advertising, whatever it is, they will help you understand where your audience is, the message they need, 
And then put those two things together to supercharge your outreach effort. They're amazing. I adore them. Hire them. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Stay up with me on social. J-O-A-T-Pod is the handle. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. I'm out of here for this week. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying sane. I hope you're staying healthy. I hope you're not being a dick out there because it's chaos. Be kind. Know a little bit more than you did yesterday. I cannot wait to hear you again. Until I do, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.